Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudduff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN. a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flody, and this episode is everything you need to know about managing anxiety in a relationship. Before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I'm not giving any type of medical advice. So if you have any concerns at all about your health, please speak with your healthcare provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please see your neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman who talks about sex. So welcome again, Dr. Austin Sheikh. So glad to have you on and continue our talk about anxiety and how anxiety shows up in a relationship. And now we're going to get to the good stuff of how to manage anxiety and what you can do. So welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be back, uh, Sadaf, and hope you're doing well. And, um, you know, wishing every all your viewers um, a happy new year. Um, and, you know, new year is often a good time to kind of think about trying new things. And um, since anxiety is such a common feature of everybody's life, you know, we've talked about how it's actually an important part of our body's protective system um, to have anxiety to have sort of this adrenaline pumping through your body to protect you. Uh, this will be a good time to kind of think of ways to manage it and um, come up with some new ideas for the year. So, um, so, so that's what I was hoping to do today. And, you know, one way to kind of just start the conversation is just a reminder that, you know, again, um, what we call quote unquote anxiety um, really is our limbic brain or our sur- survival brains um, uh, sworn duty to protect us. That's really what it's trying to do. It's trying to protect us at all times. And in doing so, it tries to do two things. It tries to detect threats to us and it tries to mobilize us to meet these threats. Really at the basic level, that's, that's what it's trying to do. Um, sure. And so one of the ways to kind of manage um, stress is to recognize that it's not doing anything dangerous. Um, but it's got sort of this agenda, and the agenda is to kind of speed us up and to make quick decisions, because it's assuming that the threat that we're under is an immediate threat, not like uh, most of our threats. Mo- hopefully, most of the threats that we're all going through in our lives are not immediate dangers. Hopefully, they're more what I call existential threats, like you know, how am I going to do in my relationship, um, how am I going to do with my job, right? Those types of things. But because that's not really the way our system is designed. It tends to speed us up. So these techniques, I think, will help um, slow us down so that we can be our best selves and that we can be our best selves for our, our partners, too. Um, so the, the, the first concept I wanted to try to introduce was um, this idea of uh, stress and control. So, for example, um, if you think about what your mind does, even without you asking it to do, is that it constantly keeps uh, thinking about what could go wrong, right? It, and that it's not doing that to make us miserable. It's trying to do that to sort of like protect us. 
And let's think of the things that matter to us and could go wrong in three categories. And it's actually helpful to think of this visually. So imagine you're in the center of a circle and mm -hmm. the circle around you, first of all, are things that you worry about that are actually fully in your control, 100% in your control. Mm -hmm. So an example would be, all right, my intention today is going to be to, you know, to be kind to my partner. That intention is fully in your control. Okay, so that's that first area. That's an example of one. Now, beyond that area, though, our mind also looks at things that are only partially in our control. Imagine that as like this ring around that middle circle. So that would be like, for example, whether people like us. If you think about that, that's partially in our control, it's not fully. I say partially because, you know, we can be kind, we can be um, caring, attentive, right? And that, that helps. That, so it does matter, right? But it's not fully in our control because there's another person and they have their own ideas and agendas and needs and et cetera. So partial control. So that's the second area. And then beyond that, there's still things our mind worries about that it actually has no control over, right? And just the fact that it has no control doesn't stop our mind from thinking about it. And ironically, yeah. the less control our mind has over something, the more it thinks about it. Hmm. Right? Not less, the more it thinks about it. If you think of really what our mind is trying to do, it's trying to solve a problem. And if the problem is actually within our control, we can kind of just get to it and, and solve it. So if I'm worried like, oh, shoot, you know, I've really got to do my uh, bills. That's in my control. It can motivate me. It's a good thing. It gets me out of my chair, into the office, doing my bills, and then it's done. And then the worry goes away. So that's useful kind of anxiety, useful worry. But if it's something that's like only partially or fully out of my control, my mind just keeps trying to solve it again and again. And this is where, if you've heard of the term rumination, right? People ruminate. <laughs> um, this often happens late at night, you know? when we're trying to go to sleep, <laughs> yeah. our mind tries to solve this unsolvable problem. So recognizing where, so, so, so that's an example of what happens and we'll talk about how to deal with that. But the first thing I ask people to do is, you know, spend about like a week and just, you know, you know, actually write this out on a piece of paper, these three circles, and just notice where do most of your worries lie? Is it in the middle? things you can control? Is it in the partial control kind of ring? Or is that, are, are you actually spending most of your time worrying about things that you absolutely have no control over? So that's like step one, get an assessment of what naturally happens for you. Okay. Now let's take them one at a time. What's this, because there's different strategies for each. So what's the best strategy for the stuff that's within our full control? Well, it's to do it as quickly as you can. Why? Because if you hold off on it, if you procrastinate something that you actually could do, the entire time that you could be doing it, your brain is going to be revving and sending adrenaline into your system, sending worry into your mind because you've not completed it. Right? 
And a really neat analogy to this is um, this, uh, what animals do. Okay, so for example, let's take two species, uh, cows and buffaloes. And when a storm comes, so it's really interesting in the United States storms, there've been a lot of storms here in California. Storms always come from the west and they head east. When a cow senses a storm coming, they don't like it. They don't want to get rained on. So they try to run away from it. They head east too. But they're cows, so they're really slow. So they head east and the storm catches them. And because they're heading in the same direction as the storm, they get rained on more, longer, than had they just even stood still. Okay. Now, buffaloes, on the other hand, are very aggressive animals. And when they sense a danger, they actually charge into it. So if a storm comes, they head into the storm. So the interesting thing is that they get rained on less because they're opposite directions. And that's very similar to like procrastination, where if we try to run away from something that we could just do and finish, um, we're like the cow. We get rained on all day. Our mind keeps worrying and worrying and worrying, and we end up spending like eight hours of stress rather than 15 minutes if we were more like the buffalo in charge. And so that's a it's, a, it's a mindset. It's sort of fight over flight. When you get that unpleasant feeling like, oh, I got to do something, kind of get angry with it and say, I'm sick of this on my back and just get it done. Um, and then you'll feel the reward of that. As you get into a habit of that, you'll feel this nice kind of relief that, yes, I'm getting my stuff done early. And then I have time later in the day to actually truly relax, guilt-free. So that so that's the, so that's that first area. Um, now, I'm going to come to the second area last, that partial control, because that's actually the hardest one. Let's go to the area of no control. And I don't know, so to put you on the spot, give, give me an idea of something you stress about <laughs> that logically you just know you don't have actually any control over. Yeah. Um, if it's going to rain when I want to go out. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. Zero control. You can wish it not to rain. You can want it not to rain, but it, it it's going to rain or it's not going to rain. Right. And at the best we get a forecast about that. So the best thing for things that are beyond our control is to learn how to let go of the need to control those things. We can wish all we want. Right. Um, and, you know, taking that like to a more serious note, you know, there are things that we want to happen in our lives. There are people who pass away. There are, you know, wars. There are horrible things that happen that we really don't want to happen. We have no control over. Right. And that's really where like a philosophy is important. Right. Uh, a sense of spirituality, religiosity, philosophy, however you want to describe it. Right. I think everyone comes to this at some phase in their life. They're faced with this like need to have a, just a way of thinking of that. Like I'm a human being. I can only exert so much control. There's things I have to let go of. And a lot of people will say, okay, well, I'll let God take care of that. Right. Or people who are not religious will say, I can only do what I can do. I can only sort of, you know, uh, marshal my resources for the things I actually have control over. 
So there's a lot of different ways, but it's important to develop a sort of, uh, like I say, like a philosophy about letting go. Um, and a lot of successful people have a very hard time letting go because they're by nature, what's got them to their successes is, is their tenacity, right? Their stick to it they, they want to be able to solve every problem, right? That, that, that's gotten them far in their lives. So to let go of things kind of goes against the grain for them. But like any skill, any, it's a mental skill. Um, and, um, you know, in a lot of Eastern cultures, they talk a lot about attachment and letting go of attachments and the process of doing that. And that involves, you know, some mindfulness, the ability to kind of see that a thought is just a thought. It's something created in our mind. It's not a reality. We can choose to do what we would like to do with it. But so, yeah, letting go of things that we don't control is at the heart of, you know, so many different philosophies. Um, and is the important thing in that sector. Now, the final sector, though, is probably what I think our mind tends to worry about the most. Like if just in my experience, what most people worry about are not things that they don't have any control of. They kind of have developed that philosophy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they kind of get to the things that they actually do have control of, but what they really struggle with are things that they have partial control of. And because they have partial control, they desire to, there's this wish that they can actually fully control it. And, you know, I know you work a lot with uh, people on relationships and the need to control is probably one of the most um, damaging things that can happen to a, a relationship, right? Because, you know, we, we have yeah. we have such intimate contact with our partner, for example, we see them all the time, we, we want things from them. And because we have this partial control or this uh, yeah partial ability to control it, we kind of keep going too far sometimes. And so one helpful technique for this, right, is to take something that you really want that's you only have partial control of and redefine it in terms of what aspects you actually have control of. So let's give an example. Say, you know, like in, in a relationship, in a relationship you want, um, you know, apropos to your, uh, your, your talks, more intimacy, right? Um, if you set as your goal, I'm going to, we are going to achieve more intimacy. You're actually doing yourself a bit of a disservice because your, um, mind is going to keep worrying and keep stressing about things you can actually control, which is like, for example, the other partner's behavior, the other partner's mood, the other partner, many, many things about your other partner. But if you redefine it in terms of I'm going to do everything in my control to enhance intimacy, right? Then you're going to have far less worry about it. And you're probably going to be more successful because you're going to be focused on yourself and what you can do rather than, you know, like what I say is like a very natural drift people do, which is to then to kind of like restructure what other people are doing or influence what other people are doing. 
So the secret to, I think, that middle ground of things that we're partially in control of is redefining it back in the center. You know, just like if somebody was mm -hmm. aiming a bow and that you could see that they're aiming off to the side, you just would kind of guide them back to the center. You want to do that with your mind and you want to say, no, 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 I'm not going to try to control the outcome. I'm going to control the aspects that I can actually control. And yeah. and that's where actually like, you know, at the beginning of a day, I think it's really important to set like a set of intentions for your, your day, um, you know, conscious mm -hmm. intentions. And to keep those intentions dead center and set in the middle of those circles, right? Of what are things mm -hmm. fully in my day that I can actually control? Because um, I think naturally what happens um, is that as you go through your day, your, your mind starts to drift to the other ones. Um, it's not that we're like power hungry or, you know, but, but, but it's just the way our mind works. It, it assumes every problem that comes to our mind, we can actually control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. You know, I was thinking while you were just talking about that, about mindfulness and how that plays into it and focusing on things that what you can control. And that's also something that, you know, I talk to clients and patients about in terms of like coaching as well. Right. Because it's all about moving forward, but it's moving forward on things that you can do and not things on what you know your spouse or anyone else because you don't have any control over that it's only what you do that you have control over absolutely absolutely and you know our, our, our mind is constantly running and so mindfulness in my opinion is you know the ability to kind of step out of your mind and and, and look at it right that's really really important otherwise you're just going to be at the mercy of the kind of state of mind you're in. And the problem with that is mm -hmm. that again, our mind by by its nature tends to be um, protective and and sometimes negative um, because again, it thinks it kind of has to keep us alive. It can't distinguish between immediate threats and uh, existential threats. So if you just go with the flow, you're often going to end up in sort of a more negative place than you need to be. And that's, you know, I think at the heart of what somebody says when they're anxious is that they're not, they're not, they're not trying to be anxious. They're not trying to be negative, but they're just kind of going with the flow of their mind. So I totally agree with you that the, mm. the key to mindfulness is the ability to step out of our thoughts and to actually just look at them. And um, I think in our society too, you know, we have this, um, our, our society is very um, success oriented and very much about doing. And so even just to ask somebody to say, hey, look, spend even five minutes just kind of breathing and noticing your thoughts. It feels almost like unproductive to them. Like, wait, why would I do that? And you know, that's, you know, wh what's the point of these things? But the, the point is like you were saying is the ability to have this, um, what I call an anchor in the river. If, if, if our mind is like a river that's constantly flowing. You don't want to be just swept along with it. You want to have the ability to, you know, put down an anchor and stop and decide for yourself which way you want to go in your day. So yeah, I, I agree. Mindfulness is at the is at the key is at the heart of it. Yeah. 
No, I love uh, I love the analogies. I love the analogy of the anchor, you know, and the river flowing. I mean, that oftentimes that's what happens, right? You're just when you get upset or angry or something like that, you just, you know, let your mind and your your feelings take over without really thinking about what's happening and trying to, you know, extricate yourself from the situation and um, really just looking at it objectively. And I, I guess that's where the emotional intelligence comes in, right? Is learning to be a little bit more objective and learning to manage your feelings and your thoughts and things like that. Um, I, you know, I, it's really interesting. Would you say that in, in overcoming issues with anxiety that you use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy for patients when you do that? Yeah. So, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is probably one of the best studied um, approaches. And it's actually uh, kind of a remnant of an old um, philosophy called Stoicism. Um, and mm. Stoics, you know, were, um, you know, philosophers, um, in the, you know, so Greek philosophers, uh, there's many. Um, one of my favorites was Seneca. And he said a very interesting thing. He said that we suffer much more in imagination than we do in mm. reality. Right. And I think that that's part of any kind of good, any kind of good anxiety treatment is recognizing that, yes, there are definitely things in this world that are real, that are actually happening, that make us suffer. There, there's no escaping that. But that most of the suffering we have are actually, is our minds looking, dreading something ahead, right? or regretting something in the past, right? Most of the things that make us suffer mm. are actually self-created. And the liberating part about it is if we can, like you said, develop mindfulness, the ability to select our thoughts, not just follow them along blindly, um, we can get rid of a good part of our suffering, uh, the unnecessary parts of our suffering. Um, you know, there was an old book like in the 70s and 80s called, you know, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And um, it is it, basically the same idea is, is that, yes, there are some things that we definitely need to think about and plan for. Um, but that's different from worrying. And we can get into that in a second, the difference between planning and worrying, because that's another really good uh, tool. But yeah, cognitive therapy is uh, kind of a extension of that. It basically looks at what are our, you know, when, when we're anxious or let's say upset, depressed, what are the thoughts that cause it? And the idea is that thoughts lead to feelings and then feelings lead to behaviors. Uh, really common one is that, let's say I'm feeling kind of down in the morning uh, and I, I start the day and I say like, uh, today's not going to go well. Well, that's going to read, if I, if I believe that I don't, I don't try to challenge that. I just accept that. Yep, today's not going to go well. Well, then I'm already kind of down. That makes me feel sad. And it's going to make it hard for me to get up out of bed. And so I'm going to take a longer time doing that. And then as a more sedentary, what's going to happen, I'm going to feel worse. I'm going to have more thoughts like that. So it's a vicious cycle. So cognitive therapy is looking at the connection between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And the interesting thing is that when, when you do that, you'll find that most of your anxiety and depression, it's not like a million different thoughts that are causing it. It's usually about five or six 
common negative repeating thoughts. Um, they could be self thoughts like, oh, people just don't like me, right? Or they could be about the future, things aren't going to turn out well for me. Um, or they could be about the past, people always have hurt me. You know, there, 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 there are a lot of ways it can go. But in cognitive therapy, what you do is you find the five or six most repetitive and destructive comments that come into your brain. And then you do an interesting process with your, your therapist. Um, you explore it and you, you kind of look at the validity to it. You don't just take it at face value. Keep in mind that when we are doing this, when, we, when we're thinking negative thoughts, we're doing it in the kind of silence of our own mind. There's nobody to kind of like have an objective opinion about it. We just kind of assume it's correct and we just feel worse and worse. And it happens within seconds, it happens very fast. So in cognitive therapy, what's nice is that you take the same thought that happens in a millisecond, you, you say it out loud and often even just saying it out loud, you're like, you, you, you kind of like, wait, that doesn't make real sense. Um, and, uh, you know, let's take, let's take a common one. Um, let's take a common example of something that would make uh, somebody anxious. And that would be like, you know, things aren't going to go well today. Right. So you say that out loud. Okay. So that idea that things aren't going to go well today, let's look at that logically. So first of what's the most logical thing to ask about that? Well, how do you know? Like, do you have like some crystal ball, right? Um, you know, that's called fortune telling. If you have that ability, please let me know. There's a lot of questions I'd love to ask you, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's like not to know the future, right? Um, and then you do different techniques. Like one technique is a very simple one called the double standard technique. And you ask yourself that comment that you just made that made you feel real nervous, that things aren't gonna go well today. Would you ever, um, would you ever say that to another friend of yours? Like if a friend was kind of looking a little nervous, would you kind of say, tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, by the way, I noticed you're feeling a little nervous. Things probably are not gonna work out well today. And it's ridiculous, of course, right? Of course, we wouldn't we wouldn't be friends for very long, right? Um, but that's the despite it being ridiculous, um, we often say these things to ourselves. So the process of cognitive therapy is to actually kind of discredit some of these thoughts that mm -hmm. seem so dogmatic and truthful. And if you do that repetitively enough, um, and they give you little homework assignments on how to try to replace those negative thoughts with more um, balanced thoughts, something you actually would say to a friend. So, you know, so if I saw you, you're looking nervous, I wouldn't tell you, you know what, your day's gonna go terrible. I'd say, don't, you know, don't worry, just take it one step at a time, right? Just do the best you can, you know, something like that. It's the words that we need to hear. And often people, they can, they can say it to others just fine. So they have it inside their head. But in this habit that we've developed, we don't say it to ourselves, the words we need to hear. And so cognitive therapy is about yeah. developing that skill of saying the words you need to hear at critical times in your day so you can soften moods and you mm. can avoid going into spirals. Mm. So that, that's kind of the essence of it. Yeah.
That's awesome. That's that's good to know. You know how we can um, how we have so much control over our own thoughts, and uh, just to try to be mindful of that, so that you don't make your own situation worse, right? And uh, how you can help yourself. So that's yeah. Those are great, great tips on how you can do that. Absolutely, and just one last thing I'll say in terms of relationships. So, you know, the more successful you feel in being able to kind of be there for yourself, it yeah. kind of it lightens the load in relationships. Sometimes mm. relationships get too heavy in terms of their de people's dependence on each other, and then there's and then people often then become um, resentful that the other person isn't sort of solving my problems or meeting my needs. So the more we can, each person individually and separately can feel successful in managing their own thoughts and in their own moods, it lightens the load in a relationship. So we can enjoy one another rather than have like a sort of like an unhealthy dependency on one another. Um, hmm. So yeah, so what's good for us is what's good for the the relationship too. Yeah. It's good to know. You know, actually, I, I, it's so interesting you bring that up because I realize that, you know, oftentimes we will, you know, perhaps we depend on our spouse to fix all of our problems or to make us feel better or to do something, whatever, you know. And instead of doing that, you know, after just listening to you, you know, it makes me realize that it's really just up to us, right, to kind of go through what we're feeling and go through our thoughts and then see whether or not those thoughts are serving us. And if they're not, then, you know, how can we change that so that those thoughts do serve us, right? And not depend on our spouse to solve all of our problems, right? You can't have your spouse, you know, working and then helping with the kids and then, you know, doing the outside work and then doing the barbecuing and doing this and that. And then, but then also, you know, you have to be um, asking them to be present and solve all of your emotional issues and all of your work issues and all, you know, right? Just what you're saying, that's that's a lot and does make relationships very heavy that way and makes it difficult. Absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, obviously as spouses, we're going to help each other out in many different ways, but responsibility for our feelings really should rely mm -hmm. on ourselves, right? Um uh behavior yeah we, you know we don't want our spouse to be harmful in their behavior we want them to be helpful in their behavior but responsibility for feelings like through these like you know cognitive therapy mindfulness it can really feel very liberating like yeah you know i can manage these things and that lessens the load for your spouse it keeps things um, at an appropriate kind of healthy um, lightness if you will hmm. yeah no that's that's so good that's very good. So um, any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave for our listeners or our viewers in terms of key things that they would want to do to begin the process of managing their anxiety? Yeah, just focus on what you can actually control. I'd say, and if I were to say what we were talking about today in a nutshell, take a look at that. Where does yeah. your mind go to? Is it on stuff you can control or whether it's stuff you cannot? And then, you know, try that visual. And when you're noticing you're thinking and worrying about things a lot, see which category it is and then solve it according to, you know, what we talked about earlier. 
All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your expertise. And I think that these were really great, um, you know, ways that we can help manage ourselves in terms of our feelings and uh, hopefully start the process of managing anxiety and especially, you know, how it manifests in relationships. So thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take good care. Thanks. And so we are done here. It's been real and really intimate. And remember that this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you are having any issues with anxiety, uh, please see or speak with a psychiatrist and or a therapist to help manage your anxiety. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.